The Dory Monson Show on Cairo Radio. This is The Big Lead. Welcome, Ma. Welcome to The Big Show. Dory Monson's Big Show. Brandy Cruz filling in for another day. Those poor suckers out in East King County. I'm one of them. You just heard in Diane's newscast. It'll be up to 24 hours. So I'm here. I am minding my own business yesterday. Well, you know what? Let's let's include this in the big lead, because, of course, the top story is what happened to my power at home. The big lead top story. So, again, thousands of people right now without power in East King County, North Bend, Snoqualmie area, some other surrounding areas. So here I am last night. I do this. um uh, monthly live virtual Q&A with uh, undivided subscribers, subscribers to my podcast. And of course, last night was our monthly December Q&A. So I'm on it and we just, you know, they can ask questions about whatever politics, uh, blah, blah, blah. So we're like 40 minutes into it. And all of a sudden, all my power goes out at home. I was like, of course. You abandoned them. I abandoned them. And then I look back at the comments on the live stream and it's like, What's happening? What's going on? Brandy, you're not here anymore. And I have no way like to tell them what happened because my power went out. And of course, I didn't charge my laptop and my phone was dying. And oh, no. um, and so I was thinking, well, maybe it'll just pop back on. And then uh, Tanner Electric, who provides our electricity out there, uh, bless them because they were really keeping folks up to date on Twitter. And sometimes that's not the case. You know, to me, I'm never going to get mad at a power company when when the power goes out because a lot of the times i mean it was the wind was howling out there in east king county yesterday and you know that's not their fault if something comes down on a power line etc the frustrating thing is when you're you're left in the dark you know physically but then also like mentally and you're not being told what's happening any sort of estimate and tanner electric came on their twitter account whoever mans their twitter account kudos to you and they were like, look, we're waiting for PSE to tell us uh, exactly what's happened. We'll keep you guys in the loop. And it was like constant updates. I'm fine being in the dark. I just need to know how long I'm going to be in the dark for or that you're working on it. Right. right. I think it, there's a big difference because sometimes it does only last 20 minutes. So if you know it's only going to be 20 minutes, you can kind of just chill. And it's fun for about 15. Right. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, and then after about 20 minutes, it gets very uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But it's it's very uncomfortable and very whatever. And so I think that it's nice that they prepped you for a long outage early so yes. you could make arrangements. Whether people had to leave so they could get to work or go stay in a hotel in a different county. Yeah, they um yeah, I got up this morning and our power was still out and our neighbors are like, We're going to plan G and I was like, What's that? They're like grandma's house. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Because they did. They did tell us um late, late last night that we should expect uh, an extended outage. And so you do get to plan and prepare, yeah, which I it's thought was cold. Nice. People gotta find some place to warm up, right? Yeah, but that latest update again from Tanner Electric, if you're out in East King County and you're without power, uh, they sent out an update this morning saying that they'd spoken to PSE, they're estimating power to be back on around eight PM to Night, which will put us at approximately 24 hours. I know yeah. Mike, he t- uh, took off work early because he's got this big, you even mentioned this, Mike I called said, you this morning. I said, we've been first. out of power all night. And um, your first thought was, what about the, the freezer you guys have full of meat? Because we have, <laughs> you know, like we get like half a cow from some friends. And then, of course, Mike goes deer hunting and he just got all this great deer uh, little jerky back. Right. And Nicole's like, what about the freezer full of <laughs> I meat? I think you got about 24 hours as long as you keep the lid shut. So yeah. you're 
you're going to just make it. Yeah, so Mike's uh, back home firing up the, the generator. So hopefully everyone is um, managing all right. It looks like 8 p.m. tonight. I know that it's really inconvenient uh, for folks to be out of power, uh, but that's the estimate so far. So hopefully maybe and, they can get things done a little earlier. And you heard the wind last night. See, oh. I don't I don't think I got as much wind as some people around here. But I was a freight train. Wow. <laughs> and then our uh, one of our dogs, Lucky. One of our neighbors had a really loud generator. I don't want to sh- do any neighbor shaming, but it was like, <laughs> this thing was It was so, like camping next to somebody. You know, some of them are nice and like relatively quiet. This one was not. And Lucky, for some reason, did not like the sound of this generator. So the whole night she's barking at this thing. Oh, no. And we're just like, go to sleep. And she's growling at it like it's some enemy to us. But it's just a loud generator. All right. So stay warm. Stay safe out there. Hopefully the power will be restored later this afternoon. Coming up next in The Big Lead. The Big Lead. Big Local. Man, we were talking on the show um, yesterday about how Proshki Proshki, which is a popular Seattle bakery, decided on Monday that after 10 months it was going to reopen its location on 3rd Avenue in downtown Seattle. And um, it had closed its location because, I mean, if you've been down there, you know, crime is terrible down there. You had all open air drug uh, use. Um, their bakery, this location, was right by that infamous mcdonald's on third and pine and so there had been the last straw was like a shooting in february where the owner olga sagan was like we're done like if i if my employees aren't going to be safe if our customers can't be safe we're closing this location and things have gotten better down there they're not great but i will say i went down there on monday the first day proshki proshki reopened and it was better you still have a ton of boarded up businesses you still got some open air drug use but nothing like it was in february so we were kind of optimistic on the show yesterday like you know things are going to be fine she said if we are forced to close again it'll be the final time though if if we have to go through this again well and then there's a story this morning so down right on this exact block 1500 third avenue so <laughs> the exact block that proshki proshki just reopened this woman is at a bus stop this is according to cairo 7 seattle police say she's at a bus stop and this guy comes up to her in a robbery attempt And hits her in the head with a big rock randomly right at this uh, this block where Olga Sagan has just decided to reopen Proshki Proshki. So apparently it was a uh, she's sitting at the bus stop, which is one of the issues with Third Avenue, by the way, is it's just this transit corridor. And now there's a lot of businesses that are closed there. And so you've had shooting suspects who've you know carried out a, a shooting or some other crime, hopped on a bus and then they're out of the area. And it really contributes to the the issue down there. So anyway, this woman's sitting on, at a bus stop. Guy comes up, according to SPD, with a fist-sized rock, hits her in the head with it. Um, the woman, she's all bloodied up after this um, attack. According to Cairo 7, the guy grabs her cell phone, runs away. Uh, we don't know her condition at this time, but we do know that she was taken to Harborview Medical Center. So now, my gosh, day after, we're, we're touting... That Proshki Proshki is reopen on Third Avenue. And I said yesterday, I said, if you feel comfortable and safe, go down and support Olga and support that business. But I'll never blame anyone who doesn't feel safe in downtown Seattle. And that's why I'll never try to shame anyone into going down there or shame a business into trying to stay open or reopen. Because that that, that is a um, still uh, not a pleasant place to be. And this just goes to prove this. And this came also just yesterday. We were uh, on the newscasts. They were talking about how this jogger on Queen Anne, this guy, young guy jogging, out of nowhere, somebody comes up and stabs him on the trail. 
And it didn't sound like it was a robbery or anything like that. It was just a random stabbing on a jogging trail. And these, to me, are the most disturbing types of crime. I mean, yeah, you know, some of the shootings happening in downtown Seattle or South Seattle are are horrible. But typically, it's like a drug dealer shooting another another drug dealer or a gang member shooting another gang member. I mean, we don't want any violence. But when it's violence against someone who's just minding their own business, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the Amazon engineer, that woman who you've probably seen the horrible video on the news by now. Uh, This was like a year ago or maybe even more more than that. She's walking down in Belltown. You see this guy draw. He's got a backpack and a baseball bat. Sets down casually, calmly, sets down his uh, backpack, runs up behind this woman, hits her in the back of the head with a baseball bat. And she it's a horrible video to watch. She drops to the ground. She had multiple skull fractures. I mean, lucky to be alive. Those are the types of crimes that keep people from coming to downtown Seattle. You know, if it was only a gang member on gang member, drug dealer on drug dealer, I think you're dealing with a different situation. But we've had now so many examples of this truly random crime. Like I said, down on Third Avenue, this woman gets hit in the head with a, a, a rock by some dude while she's sitting at a bus stop. Absolutely horrible. And so hopefully I, I, I had just seen this story before we came on. And so I'll have to check back in with Olga and... Um, Uh, see if this has changed her mind at all but she is going to have to and i think she realizes this there is going to be some element of crime down there still i mean things are not not better down there they're they're okay but they're certainly not where the city used to be so uh unfortunate to hear another random attack down on third avenue in downtown seattle all right coming up next on the big lead the big lead top trending uh president biden well we were talking yesterday about Buffalo and what's happening in New York and the um, East Coast, just these terrible, terrible uh, winter conditions. I think in uh, New York State, uh, more than two dozen people have died uh, in New York State, which is just horrible. But so Biden, in the middle of all this, where where is Biden going? Oh, He's going to the Virgin Islands for a nice little vacation. Nicole, see if you can find the stats. I know somebody found stats on how many days of his presidency so far. Joe Biden has um, headed out on vacation. Uh, Governor Kristi Noem, of course, of South Dakota, uh, she was like, all this happening in a country. You know, we got the immigration crisis going on. We've got people freezing to death on the East Coast. And Biden's taken off on a little trip. President, he is perpetuating all of this right. himself. This is a national security threat that he's bringing onto our country and creating crisis after. She's talking about the southern border, not the, the, the weather being a national security threat. crisis by allowing us to have a border that's not secure by not following through on policies that secure the American people, by increasing our energy costs, food costs. People are suffering, and he's going on vacation. So I honestly wish the the president would go back to his basement. I think we did a little bit better when he was down in his basement (laughs) rather than when he was heading off on vacation. Uh, At least then he was still uh, talking to the American people, um, even though it was tough to figure out what his agenda was. Now we know, and it's tragic for our country. Did you find it, Nicole? How many vacation well, days he's taken? Uh, the last report I saw was August 31st, which he at that point he had been in office 589 days and had spent 239 of them outside the White House. Oh, OK. Forty uh, percent on vacation. OK, so he was on vacation for all those days. Well, I mean, he wasn't these people are labeling them as vacation because he's not at work, okay. but he could be working from home. Sometimes right. he's in Delaware. Sometimes he's but he's not. 
in the Oval Office he's at work. He's gone quite a bit. Uh, as he was leaving, so he's heading out on the lawn of the White House. You got the chopper in the background, which I hate when they try to ask him questions with the chopper in the background. You can never make out what he's saying, but we'll try. Uh, he was asked to respond to the decision over Title 42, which, of course, was uh, put in place during the pandemic, which allows them to send people uh, from Mexico back across the border uh, more rapidly. Although I'm not sure how much good that's doing, but some uh, Republican states, uh, southern states had wanted Title 42 to stay in place, even though it was a pandemic era order, because they said it's one of the only things helping us to get people uh, back across the border. And so SCOTUS decided, yeah, we'll leave Title 42 in place until we can hear official arguments. The, the White House did not want Title 42 to stay in place. They wanted it to end. And so reporters asked Biden on his way to a nice beach vacation what he made of the SCOTUS ruling. What's your reaction to Title 42? He said they're not going to decide until June, apparently. In the meantime, we have to enforce it. He said it's overdue that it ends. Yeah. Uh, So speaking of Title 42... Our friend Allie Bradley. So uh, Allie Bradley, she used to work with me at Fox 13 in Seattle, ended up going independent, doing some work at the southern border. And now she's a correspondent for News Nation. Uh, And she's been down at the border in Yuma, Arizona. And, you know, even though Title 42 is still in place, clearly it is not stopping people from coming across the border. And there are still an awful lot of people who are not being sent back um, with Title 42. So I found it fascinating, and Allie's going to join us uh, coming up at 1230 on the big show. So after the break, uh, Allie's going to join us and talk about some of the things that she's been seeing. But she posted this video on social media where, you know, we often talk about people from Mexico coming across the border. But, of course, there's a ton of other countries um, where people are coming from Central America, et cetera, and also from overseas. She runs into this guy, 24 years old, who comes across the border And he's Russian, and he essentially tells her that he – it's either he comes to the U.S. across the border or he might have to go fight in Ukraine. Uh, Yes, uh, I want to tell you that uh, maybe 65, 70 percent people uh, think about that uh, United States of America is a problem number one for Russia. This this big uh, opportunity like uh, receive the – political asylum in the United States. Thank you, Joseph Biden, for this opportunity. God bless you. God bless you, USA. So here you got this guy from Russia who's basically like, yeah, we don't like America. Like Most people in Russia hate America. But also, thank you, Joe Biden, for this opportunity to seek asylum. So what he uh, tells Helly Bradley in this clip is essentially, so because he's under the age of 27 and he's a male, uh, in Russia, he doesn't want to go and fight in Ukraine. So what does he do? This guy who says that Russians hate Americans? Well, he comes across the southern border and thanks President Joe Biden because he wants to seek asylum. Now, I'm not sure, and I'll ask Ali uh, about this coming up at 1230. I'm not sure if trying to flee the draft as a Russian would qualify you under our asylum laws to stay here. I tend to think it would not. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, if he gets some sort of hearing, we know how long those take and he'd just be in the country until he gets some sort of hearing um, on his asylum claim. And so it's just absolutely crazy because there's so many facets to this border crisis. And, yes, you have people coming up from Mexico and coming across the border. But you also have another thing Ali uh, posted about is this guy is um, gets to Tijuana. I think he was from Moldova. So gets to Tijuana, however he ended up getting there, and takes an Uber <laughs> to a meetup point 
on the southern border to be able to get across, walk across the border. So now we've got Ubers in Tijuana. I've been to Tijuana, by the way. I could spend the rest of the show talking about my interesting trip to Tijuana and many tequila shots later. But uh, I did not end up taking an Uber in Tijuana up to the southern border and walking across. And so you have this multifaceted problem where you've got, yeah, some folks sprinkled in who have some legitimate asylum claims Um, And, you know, America welcomes asylum claims. There's a reason that we do that. Immigration, legal immigration is is critical to who we have been as a country. Uh, But then you've got these folks coming for all different reasons from um, from countries in Central America and from Russia now trying to flee the war in Ukraine, which just seems really counterintuitive that you would come to the United States. But so we're going to have Ali Bradley again, a correspondent with News Nation, covering the situation at the southern border. Uh, join us coming up here at 1230 on the big show. I'm so fascinated to hear some of the things that she's been uh, seeing in Yuma and also to ask her about. We had this giant uh, drug bust we'll talk more about coming up later in the show in King County uh, that charges have now been filed in and you just really wonder how they're getting that much drugs i think in our drug bust here is like half a million fentanyl pills or fentanyl doses how they're getting that much drugs up and how much they're not discovering when you know you know how much um how many drugs have actually been seized but it's the stuff that hasn't been seized that's very very concerning and that has been the big lead the big lead on cairo radio as I mentioned, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, Allie Bradley, a correspondent for News Nation, is going to join us from Yuma, Arizona, talking about what she has been seeing down at the southern border and also how big of a deal is it really that Title 42 is going to stay in place. That and much more ahead on the big show, Brandy Cruz filling in. show brandy cruz filling in for the last few uh, days we've been talking about the situation at the southern border and there's been a lot of news uh, there i mean title 42 was a big one the u.s supreme court saying it was going to leave title 42 in place for now um and you know it's interesting to hear politicians and their different perspectives about just how bad the situation is at the southern border but i always prefer to ask someone who's actually there <laughs> who's actually been down there looking at what's happening we know the president has uh, so far not visited the southern border so joining us live on the big show is ali bradley a former my former colleague uh, in seattle now a correspondent for news nation covering the border she joins us from yuma arizona hello ali Hi, Brandy. So glad to be on and to talk about an important topic, as always. Yeah, well, it's always interesting to watch all the things you're up to. You get so much good stuff when you're down there. And like I said, I mean, people can talk about the border. I could talk about the border and offer my opinion, but it's much different when you're actually on the ground. Can I ask you quick about Title 42? You know, Mm -hmm. I've said I'm opposed to it staying in place because I oppose um, any pandemic era um, orders staying in place longer than they need to because of the pandemic. But realistically... What is Title 42 doing at the border? I mean, that's the same exact thing that I've been saying, Brandy, is how can you want no mask mandates but want to keep this in place? You know, they don't that doesn't work. So it is interesting, but it is kind of the the fail safe that they have or the last kind of line of defense that they have, because if they don't have Title 42, there's really nothing that is allowing them to remove people from the country that have entered illegally in between ports of entry. 
Um, most people right now are economic migrants for the most part. We are seeing some people come over that have valid asylum claims. But when it comes to Title 42, it, it's kind of arbitrarily addressing certain countries. When I just talked to the Border Patrol Council president earlier today, he was explaining to me that they don't even have a legitimate list as to which countries are actually you know, qualifying for Title 42, they call the supervisor and basically make the determination as to what's going to happen with those people based on what country they're from. We know if they're from Russia and Cuba and uh, Nicaragua right now, basically, they won't be turned back under Title 42. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in a couple of weeks, does that change? So what what a lot of people are frustrated about is that they're calling it a Band-Aid on a bullet wound because the issue is this. When someone comes over under Title and is returned under Title 42, it is a quick process. Sometimes within 90 minutes, that person is back in Mexico. So there is no paperwork. There is no formal processing. And there are no ramifications. There's nothing on that person's record that says that they entered the country illegally. So they'll try again. Yeah. And that has happened. The recidivism rates are really high. We've seen this. That is in part why we are seeing such astronomical numbers, but at the same time, we are seeing unique encounters as well that are higher than any other former, you know, administration as well. So Title 42 is not the fix. It is what Republicans are arguing is the last kind of line of defense for Border Patrol, because otherwise all you have is Title 8. And right now, for the most part, people are being released into the United States under Title 8 with removal proceedings, which is an ankle monitor or a cell phone, right? So we've been covering that too. So Title 42 going away, um, you know, they don't think it's going to have, you know, a lot of Border Patrol agents don't think it's doing anything right now because they don't believe it's being enforced adequately. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it seems like a moot point and really just delaying the inevitable. So I think there's a lot of controversy around it. And it's just a, to me, it's just a distraction from, OK, let's figure out what is actually going on and how we can make meaningful change at the border. You mentioned mm-hmm. something quickly I want to talk to you about. Um, you've been encountering some Russians at the border and you talked to this uh, young man, 24. His name's Igor. And he told you he was leaving Russia because he was fleeing the draft there to be sent, didn't want to be sent to Ukraine. Yes. So I was talking with him and, and we're actually covering this a little bit more extensively today, but I was talking with him. And I asked him why he left Russia now. Obviously, they're in war, and they have been, though, for, for quite some time. So why now? Because they're taking a plane straight here. They're not doing a three-month-long journey like we saw in the beginning of this crisis. They're literally taking a plane to, our, to Tijuana and then Ubering to this drop-off point to meet up with a smuggler. So he told me the reason why now is because they're taking any men under the age of 27, and they're forcing them to go to war. And I was like, you're fleeing the draft. Mm -hmm. And that is 100% what he's doing. He's a 24-year-old who said that what's happening in in Russia is not right. He does not agree with what's happening. He wants to be in America. He wants to be free. You know, he was asking me questions about, am I allowed to be down there filming without a permit, without a license? And I said, yes, I am. You know, this is how it is in America. He says, wow, you really are free here. It was just such a different perspective. But to hear him say outright, that he was under 27 years old and would have had to go to war if he stayed in Russia and is thanking President Joe Biden for the opportunity to claim asylum here. Um, That was a first for me being down along the border and experiencing that. Is that a legitimate asylum claim? (sighs) 
you know, with what's happening with the war in Russia and Ukraine, I, I don't know if they would be able to claim political asylum. I, they're pro for that under, under what our administration is doing. I mean, they've said that Russia doesn't qualify to be returned under title 42. So then what they can enter into the removal proceedings, which is carrying on to claim asylum. Well, Which also, is they might not have a court date for two years. Didn't he also tell you, and forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing, that he that Russians don't like Americans and that he doesn't like the, like America? Uh, he didn't say he didn't, okay. but he said 65 to 70 percent of Russians believe that America is the number one problem for Russia. So, wow. you know, the majority of their country looks at America as public enemy number one. And here we are, the majority of migrants I have seen over the last two days have been from Russia, the country of Georgia, and even Moldova. So really interesting to hear that. Yeah, it's like this little microcosm you get down there. It's like this crash course in uh, foreign policy of just hearing the stories of people who are coming and why they're coming. Mm -hmm. Um, Another, you have this tweet that, that has went a little viral, and understandably so. So like you said, you've been um, in Yuma and yesterday, um, 400 migrants, you said, crossed into Yuma just in the morning uh, from Moldova, Russia, Cuba. And the guy you talked to from Moldova, when you encountered him, he said he took an Uber there. <laughs> Can you explain yes. that? Yes, this is the second person, Brandy, that has told me that. So in the overnight hours, basically, this really, really orchestrated, sophisticated smuggling operation is happening every day between about 1.30 in the morning and about 4 in the morning. Cars line up on the highway on the Mexico side, and you hear them drop people off. You can, I mean, it's close enough. You can hear the conversations almost. And then you hear doors closing, and then they speed off. Well, these guys tell me that they walked about two miles with these smugglers, with these group of strangers, and the way they got there was an Uber. And the Uber driver knows when the operations are happening and knew where to drop them off. And they left Tijuana in an Uber. And we looked and saw, and it was like 150 bucks to take an Uber from Tijuana to here. I mean, you got two or three people. That's not bad. Second person that has done that. And it's blowing my mind. I mean, and they're not doing anything wrong on the Mexico side because the Uber is allowed to take them around, right? And they have a visa, for the most part, to be in Mexico for six months, most of them. So they're legally over there. They just don't want to stay. Again, we're talking to Allie Bradley, a correspondent for News Nation who's been covering the border. Allie, stick with us. We'll be right back on The Big Show. Bradley, a correspondent for News Nation, who's been doing some awesome reporting down at the southern border. Allie, uh, a couple more subjects that have been in the news I wanted to talk to you about. So on Christmas Eve, there was this big controversy because um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott shipped some migrants, bus some migrants up in front of the home of the vice president. It was blistering cold. It was Christmas Eve. But it was funny because I was watching CNN, uh, one of your competitors, and they had this woman who was working for um, a nonprofit that helps migrants. And I don't think CNN was expecting it because she actually said, well, this is actually a good thing for the migrants because they don't Mm want to be in these small towns in Texas. They 
want to be in these big cities. And so this is like getting them closer to where they want to be. Is that what you've heard, too? Because there's and I get it. You know, you know, I don't like human beings being used as a political pawn. I, I, I get it. And to make a political point. But have you heard that these migrants were actually okay with being shipped to D.C. on Christmas Eve? Well, number one, I followed one of these buses from Del Rio all the way to Washington, D.C. So I saw the conditions, saw how they were treated. Most of what is out there is false because they were treated very well. We can get into that another day. But when it comes to Christmas Eve specifically, I actually tweeted about this too, Brandy, because the Valverde Border Humanitarian Coalition, which is the NGO that helps them in Texas, literally tweeted out the same thing. Photos of them being greeted in Washington, D.C. and saying, while it's cold and they're exhausted, they are grateful And it was a beautiful Christmas for all involved. They are grateful because they are not no one that I have talked to has said, I am staying in Yuma, Arizona, Brandy. They are all going. The ones I talked to today, weirdly enough, one was going to Oregon and Washington State. One was going to um, Jackson Hole, Wyoming is where the guy from Moldova was going. Like these people aren't staying at the border. A lot of them, a vast majority of them are going to Florida and New York and the East Coast areas. So when you can get a free bus ticket, because that's what it is, it's free. Governor Atwell, free for them, (laughs) taxpayers of Texas are paying for it. They get that free bus ride closer to their destination and they might take a 20 or $40 bus trip from New York to New Jersey or wherever they're going or D.C. to, you know, if they're going over to Virginia or if they're going to Philadelphia, wherever they're going, they're closer than they were than if they're in Yuma, Arizona or in Del Rio, Texas. So there is that level, and that is the exact same sentiment I experienced when I was traveling with that group of about 50 people for 39 hours. I got to know them, and they were all very grateful for the free ride, and their families were all very grateful because these people no longer had to figure out how to get them all the way down from the southern you know, tip of the border to where they are on the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, two other quick things for you, Ali. We had this big drug bust last week in Washington State, in King County. Um, they've said it was a, a drug ring for the Sinaloa Mexican drug cartel. Not a surprise, mm-hmm. but they seized like half a million fentanyl pills, enough individual mm-hmm. doses of fentanyl to kill every single person in King County. And I, I'm curious, from your experience down at the border, when you're talking about shipments of drugs that are that large, how are they getting in? Is it through unsecured ports or is it through ports of entry? Is it through unsecured areas of the border? Well, from down here at the Nogales port of entry, this fiscal year alone, they have seized more than 14.5 million fentanyl pills at this single port of entry since October 1st. That's astronomical. So that is what they're catching, Brandy. And when I talk to experts, national security experts about this situation, what they tell me is that the cartels operate as a business. They will be okay uh, with a certain amount of loss, right? They have a profit and loss margin, mm-hmm. and they're okay with a certain loss margin. And so if they're apprehending and seizing 14.5 million pills, we know there are other pills getting into the interior that the cartel is pushing through because people aren't dying off of interdicted drugs. So what we're seeing is we are seeing those things stashed in these vehicles and things like that, but we are seeing them seized by DPS troopers. We are seeing them seized at the checkpoint. So that means that it is getting through that initial port of entry. Now, is it coming through the holes that the cartel is creating by distracting border patrol agents with groups of 400 people? Possibly, but I can't say that definitively because I have not seen that with my own eyes. But the fact that DPS is able to catch people with hundreds of thousands of pills 
you know, and smuggling loads and vehicle loads that are driving down the highway, that means it got through some kind of port or got through the border somehow. So it's, it's getting in because we know it's coming in through Mexico. So how exactly that is still a question. It's kind of like the known gotaways, right? Mm-hmm. We know fentanyl is coming in because we're seeing people die from it. And we know it's coming in through the Southern border. We know how much is getting seized and we're trying to quantify how much is getting through still. Yeah. And I don't think anybody has that exact number of just how much is really getting through. Yeah, that's terrifying because you know more is getting through than they're finding. And it's like, if, exactly. if they're finding that much, it's terrifying to think how much is getting past them. Um, right, because this... they're not going to keep doing the same thing if they're not successful somewhere. Right. Let's end with this again. We're talking to Allie Bradley, former Seattle uh, TV reporter, now a correspondent for News Nation. How are things at News Nation, Allie? Because it's, it's interesting because the thing that they let you say and do and cover, I really don't think would be tolerated at like a CNN. So I know News Nation was like this idea to really get back to actually unbiased news. Is it living up to that promise? You know, it is. I I have often had these conversations with people because I, I was independent for a while and people had questions about when I went kind of to mainstream, right? And the conversations I have are this, Brandy, every single day I pitch my stories, I submit my scripts, and they come back 99.9% of the time exactly as submitted, exactly what I pitched, because I am I am someone who is experiencing it and living it, and they trust me, and they know the content that I'm going to provide is is unbiased, right? It is the fact. And it is true about what is happening down here. And so they are allowing me to tell the truth. And I think that it's something that we shy away from a lot because the truth is a picture that is really hard to see sometimes. And it doesn't always fit morning news, right? And it doesn't always fit in these places uh, when we're talking about migrant deaths, like in Yuma County. You know, they have they have 70, the highest they've ever had. Their previous highest was 30. That's not morning news conversation, Mm. but they find a way to prioritize the border at News Nation still and prioritize the information. And they also find a space for the human interest pieces that we do on the border as well and the conversations we have with the migrants. So it's really important to have all of those conversations. And we are able to have them at News Nation, which is really cool. And I'm really proud to still be able to say that they're allowing me to, to tell the truth down here at the border. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, I've watched some newscasts and I think uh, it's been great. So, Allie Bradley, I'm so proud of you. You're doing awesome work still. And you can uh, catch Allie, obviously, on News Nation. I also recommend following her on Twitter at Allie Bradley TV because she just sends out these gems of what she's seeing at the Southern Border. Allie, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Brandy, as always. A pleasure. Much more ahead on the Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in.